Story nine of Over the Plum Pudding by John Kendrick Bangs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Great Composer. Among the best-known residents of Schnitzelhammerstein on the Zugwitz, when Hans Pumpernickel first appeared in that beautiful city, were three musicians, Herr von Karlingstongs, who was the only, and consequently the best, violinist in town, Dr. Otto Teutonstring, and Heinrich Flatz, who had played the cello once before the King of Prussia with such effect that the king said he'd never heard anything like it before the town was naturally very proud of the trio and particularly of dr teutonstring who though far from being a muscular man had once played the bass viol for sixteen consecutive hours in the musical contest at the schnitzelhammerstein carnival beating by one hour and twenty-two minutes the strongest and most enduring bass viol player in germany they were the most amiable old gentlemen in the world it very seldom happened that they failed to agree which was rather wonderful because it often happens unhappily that musicians grow jealous of one another and say and do things that make it impossible for them to live together peaceably you may not all of you remember that famous and very sad instance of the lengths to which this jealousy is sometimes allowed to run wherein luigi sparagini the well-known italian violinist in his rage at the applause received at a concert by his rival siegfried von heimstetter broke a stradivarius violin valued at a thousand pounds over von heimstetter's head to be rebuked in return by von heimstetter who induced sparagini to look at the mechanism of a grand piano he had letting the cover fall on the other's head as soon as he had poked it in thereby utterly ruining the piano and severely injuring sparagini's nose nothing of this kind as i have intimated ever marred the serenity of the three amiable musicians of schnitzelhammerstein on the zugswitz we have no cause each other to be jealous of herr von Karlingstongs had said i the fiddle play they the fiddle do not play true observed heinrich flatz the potato just as well the watermelon might be jealous of if i the fiddle played then might i von Karlingstongs be jealous of therefore also already can the same be said regarding teutonstring in no manner are we each other the rivals of in all of which as hans pumpernickel said to me there was much common sense discord is not music said he and if these men were discordant they would not be musicians if they were not musicians they would have to make a living in some other kind of business they are not fit for any other kind of business wherefore they are wise as well as amiable the consequence of all this harmony between the three dear old gentlemen was that they were always together they practised together and on public occasions they played together and their fellow-townsmen were delighted with them at weddings they played the wedding marches each as earnestly as though he were playing a solo at the mayor's banquets they were always present adding much to the pleasure of these sumptuous repasts by the soft and beautiful strains which they discoursed 
"'I am not a king,' said Mayor Ehrenbreitstein upon one of these occasions, "'but if I were, I could not hear better music. We have an orchestra without a court. What more can we desire?' "'Nothing,' said Hans Pumpernickel, "'unless it be another tune.' "'A good idea,' cried one of the aldermen. "'Let us have another tune.' And so the cry would go about the board, and the three happy old gentlemen would good-naturedly go to work again and play another tune. It came about very naturally, then, that whenever a rival band of musicians, desirous of resting the laurels from the respective brows of Herren von Karlingstongs, Tutenstring, und Flatz, came to Schnitzelhammerstein, they found them so strongly entrenched in the affections of the people that while they lived and played in harmony together, no others could hope to make a living from music in that community. They rapidly grew rich, for it came to pass that, with the exception of house-rent and new strings for their instruments and other mere incidentals of a musician's work, they had no expenses to pay. Their food cost them nothing, they attended so many banquets, and when occasionally a day would come upon which no breakfast, luncheon, or dinner required their services, it was always found that they had carried away enough fruit and cake and other dainties from the affairs that had been given to last them through such rare intervals as found them without an engagement. In other respects, too, did these worthies show themselves entitled to be called wise, some five years after they began to grow famous in Schnitzelhammerstein on the Zugwitz, some of their admirers suggested that they ought not to confine themselves to the small town in which they had waxed so great, but should go out into the world and dazzle all mankind by the brilliance of their playing. The great orchestras of Austria, said one of these, do not content themselves with laurels won at home. They travel into far countries, and win fame and fortune all the world over. Why do not you go?" "'We will talk it over,' Herr Tutenstring replied. "'I, for one, am opposed to making such a trip, because I am an old man, and my bass viol is heavy.' "'Can you not send it about by freight?' said the man who proposed the scheme. "'Would you send your child by freight?' asked Herr Tutenstring. "'I would not.' returned the other. No more can I send my bass viol by freight, said Herr Tutenstring, fondly twanging the strings of his huge instrument. This is my whole family. I love it as I would a child for whom I must care. As a father who has helped me to become what I am, nevertheless we will talk it over. And they did talk it over, and as a result decided that the world, if it desired to hear them play, must come to Schnitzelhammerstein on the Zugwitz. "'If we go,' said Herr von Karlingstongs, "'who will provide music for Schnitzelhammerstein on the Zugwitz?' "'Who, indeed,' said Heinrich Flatz, gazing at the floor after the manner of the truly wise man. "'Since you have both asked that question,' said Herr Tutenstring, "'out of mere politeness I must answer it. My answer is, briefly, I haven't the slightest idea.' "'But someone must,' persisted von Karlingstongs. "'Yes,' said the others. "'Then one of two things must happen,' said von Karlingstongs. "'Either by our absence the people of this town must be deprived of good music, 
which would be very ungrateful of us, who have gained so much profit from them, or they must discover that there are others who can play as well as we do, whereby we would cease to be the greatest in the world, which strikes me as bad policy. Von Karlingstongs, said Heinrich Flatz, with tears of joy in his eyes, you are not only a musician, you are a thinker. Do not flatter me, my dear Flatz, said von Karlingstongs, modestly. You do not know what a struggle it is to me to keep from giving way to pride. Well, I agree to all that you have said, said Herr Teutonstring, and I have to add that, as we are only young in spirit, and as my bass viol is very heavy, I think we should be content to remain at home. Particularly, added Heinrich Flatz, in view of the fact, that there can be but one result. We should succeed. Now, where is the gratification in success? Simply in the knowledge that you have succeeded. We know that now. Wherefore, why should we put ourselves to inconveniences simply to find out what we already know? Does a man with a pantry full of tarts go seeking tarts? He does not. If he is wise, said Herr Teutonstring, and we are wise, added Herr von Karlingstongs. Which settles the point. We'll stay at home, said Herr Flatz. And they did. And subsequent events showed the wisdom of their course, for in less than a year's time the king came to Schnitzelhammerstein on the Zugwitz. Some said that he stopped there merely because there was a better luncheon counter at the railway station than anywhere else along the road. Others persisted that His Majesty had heard of the marvellous powers of the three musicians, and, being fond of music, had travelled all the way from the capital, a distance of more than a hundred miles, to hear them. However this was, the fact remained that the King announced that for two hours he would be the guest of the little city, concerning which we have spoken so much. The town, naturally, was all of a flutter and great preparations were made to receive his majesty. "'I will make a speech,' said the mayor, "'and our orchestra can serenade his majesty.' "'The serenade is a good idea,' said Hans Pumpernickel innocently. "'Shall I inform Herr Teutonstring and his fellow-players that that is your opinion?' "'As a rule, I avoid having opinions,' said the mayor, "'but in this instance I think it is safe to hazard one.' you may inform the gentleman. And uh, the speech, suggested Hans. We'll see about that, said the mayor. If I can get a good one, I shall deliver it. Very well, said Hans. I'll try to think of something for you to say. Meanwhile, I'll see von Karling's tongs. Hans did as he said, and despite their wisdom, the three musicians were as much in a flutter as the rest of the city. To play before the king was an unexpected honour, although Heinrich Flatz affected to treat it as quite an ordinary thing. "'He is a very fair judge of music,' said Flatz patronizingly, for a king. "'I think that, after all, we'd better do our best.' "'Yes,' said von Karlingstongs, "'you are right, as usual, though I will say right here that, in doing my best, I am actuated as much by my loyalty to my art as by any other motive. I always do my best. And I also put in Teuton String. Now the question that arises is, what is our best? That 
is indeed the question," said Herr Flatz. "I, having already had the honour to play before his Majesty, am perhaps better fitted than either of you to say what he likes. When I was so distinguished I played Djorski's Symphony in B minor. Therefore I contend that that is what we should play. His Majesty remarked that he had never heard anything like it before. He would doubtless like to hear it again. Therefore, I say, that is the thing for us to play. Ordinarily, said Teutonstring, I can agree with Herr Flatz, but this time I cannot. I am at my best in Darmstadter's oratorio. There can be no question about it that the bass viol is at its highest, most ennobling point in that composition, which is why I say, let us have the oratorio. The king, having heard the symphony in B minor, would naturally rather hear something else. The symphony, no doubt, would awaken pleasant memories, but the oratorio would give him something new to remember in the future. "'There is much in what you say, Herr Teutonstring,' said von Garlingstong. "'There is also much in what my dear friend Flotz says. But it seems to me that there is more in what I have to say than in the combined suggestions of both of you.' The symphony in B minor is excellent, the oratorio is quite as excellent, but neither of them comes up to de Boriac's Moonlight Sonata, which, when I play it, makes me feel as though the whole world lay at my feet, as if I were the king of all creation. Now I am a man, the king is a man, we are both men. It is but natural to suppose that if this sonata makes me, a man, feel like the king of all creation, it will also make that other man, the king, feel the same way. What is our object in playing before the king? To please him. How can we best please him? Simply by making him feel that he is the king of all creation. Perfectly simple, my dear Plotz. Plain as a pikestaff, string. Therefore, let us play Boriac's Moonlight Sonata. It was thus that the three musicians, who had always hitherto agreed, came to have the first difference in their lives, and what made it seem worse than all was that this difference occurred at a time which seemed to them in their secret hearts to be the greatest event of their lives. Perhaps it was the very importance of this event that made each of them firm in his belief that he was right and the others wrong. Neither would yield to the others, and an hour before the arrival of the royal train found Flotz determined to play the symphony, Teutonstring determined to play the oratorio, and von Karlingtongs equally immovable in his determination to play the Moonlight Sonata, and nothing else. They labored with one another in vain. Dr. Teutonstring tried to win over Herr Flott, saying that if together they should play the oratorio, they could let von Karlingstongs render the sonata without much harm, since the bass viol and cello together could drown the sounds of the violin. Herr Flotz would agree to a combination of two against one only in case the symphony were selected, and when the king arrived no change whatsoever had been made in the determination of the musicians. Ruin stared them in the face, but each preferred ruin to a base surrender of what he thought to be for the best. 
Of course, as the King alighted from the train, the people cheered; and when the Mayor rose to greet him with the speech he had to make, they cheered again, but these cheers were as nothing to those which greeted the appearance of the musicians. Many nations had kings; all cities had mayors. What city had such an orchestra? No wonder they cheered. And then the serenade began. Herr Flatz rosined his bow and began the symphony in B minor, while von Karlingstongs and Teutonstring, equally determined, started in on the opening measures of the sonata and oratorio, respectively. "'It's something new they've got up for the occasion,' whispered the people, as the three men fiddled away with all their strength. "'A most original composition,' said the king to the chancellor. "'I never heard such discord in my life,' said a small boy on the outskirts of the crowd. Still they kept on. The symphony and the oratorio were longer than the sonata, so that von Karlingstongs soon found himself outdone by his fellow-players. But nothing daunted, he played the sonata over again. And so it went, until with a final grand burst of notes—I was almost about to say harmony—they stopped. "'Magnificent!' said the king. "'A really classic composition,' murmured the chancellor. And the people shrieked with delight. The musicians, perspiring with excitement, stood overcome with surprise. They had succeeded beyond their wildest hopes. But the king brought them to their senses in a minute by asking, "'What is the composer's name?' "'What'll we tell him?' moaned Teutonstring. "'It will never do to confess what we have done now.' "'I'm sure I don't know,' returned Flotz, with a shiver. "'The composer's name, sir,' replied von Karlingstongs, more ready of wit than the others, "'the composer's name is, uh, uh, is, uh—' "'Well,' said the king impatiently, "'it is Karling Teuton Flotz,' said von Karlingstongs. "'Give him a thousand marks,' said the king, "'and distribute a thousand more to these gentlemen,' he added. And then the royal party proceeded on its way. As for the composer Carling Teuton Flatz, he was never heard of again. But several other eminent musicians modelled their music after his, and obtained a renown that was not only world-wide, but has lasted until this day. The three musicians of Snitchel Hammerstein on the Zubowitz, when they had recovered from their surprise and excitement, began to smile, and never stopped until they died, and I am not certain that they stopped then. Nor did they ever confide their secret to any one but Hans Pumpernickel, who in turn confided it to me, so that this is really the first time the public has been let into the secret origin of what was then the music of the future and what is to-day the music of the present. End of Story 9